Well, this morning we are privileged to have with us uh, Tom Woodward. Uh, he is no stranger to New Life. Uh, we have been in partnership with him for about 20 years. Uh, he is the founder and senior lecturer of the C.S. Lewis Institute, uh, or excuse me, the C.S. Lewis Society, which is undergoing a name change, which I'm sure he's going to tell us a little bit about in just a few minutes. He's also a graduate of Canal Winchester High School. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, he's a graduate also of Princeton, of Dallas Seminary, and he has a doctorate from the University of South Florida. And uh, he has written several books. Uh, I've got many of them on my shelf at home. And he and his wife have recently relocated from Tampa Bay to Columbus. Georgia. Uh, I know, disappointed. Um, but despite moving to the wrong state, we are pleased that he's here with us this morning to bring us God's word. So, Tom, would you come? And give him a warm welcome, too. Uh -huh. Wow. Maybe I can complete the journey at some point. Well, I'm completing it today, right? So, yeah, it's great. Great to be with you. I actually have a sheet out there, and it's called Awesome and Amazing Creation Passages. And it's right there, kind of in the area where the coffee vendor or the coffee dispenser is. And so you are welcome to take one of those if you'd like. I'm going to just make a quick reference to that because, as you know, this is one of my areas of I enjoy talking about and sharing the, the great news from science that points to creation and kind of throws into doubt the standard doctrine, doctrine of uh, Darwinian evolution. So, and this is basically my attempt to take all creation passages, I mean, the really five-star, even some four-star passages, and kind of assemble them on one sheet, especially the ones about the stars of the heaven expanding. We'll get to that in a minute. So take one, and if we run out, you can just hand me, you know, we'll, I'll jot your uh, email address down, and we'll get that to you. So it's exciting to be here, and I understand that this clicker works magnificently and enables me to, and uh, I hit the, oh, it does help to turn the clicker on. Yes, um, highly educated people know how to turn the clicker on. So let's see if this is going to work. Hey, there it is. Okay. So uh, as uh, Pastor Paul was sharing with me the exciting uh, series that you have had on Second Peter, I said, yeah, I have a very sophisticated kind of, you know, response. Wow. That was my, because I had just finished teaching a series on 2 Peter. And of course, I, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is that last verse of 2 Peter chapter 3. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are brought to salvation. We are rescued by grace and that's just the start because grace explodes and just carries us, you know, the power and love and closeness and guidance and coaching. Yeah, I like to use the word coaching. God is like the ultimate super coach, head coach, and he coaches us and enables us to grow in grace. And I was just so excited that that was the, the kind of the, one of the main final points, as I understand it, that you ended on last week. And then next week, I, under, I understand there's a series on the beautiful body of Christ and how uh, the connecting, the fellowship, the, the relationships within the body make all the difference. And so uh, as we were discussing possibilities, I had developed a kind of a special love for Acts 1. I know you're not shocked, but it's, it's like the launching pad for world missions. And I was called at the ripe 
old age of 18, actually I just turned 19, I felt God calling me to be a missionary sitting in a Bible study at Princeton University. And God like was whispering to my heart, I want you to go to the unreached. And specifically, uh, it turned out we were able to spend two years in the Dominican Republic and there were some unreached people groups there. A lot of them were students and even professors. So God gave me a burden for professors and students. And so that's kind of our dual focus for a lot of what we've been doing at the C.S. Lewis Society, newly renamed Apologetics, Inc. We actually developed that as our legal true name back in the year 2000, and it's sort of just easing in. We're going to still use the name C.S. Lewis Society when God seems to point to the usefulness of that. We've actually held events on the Princeton campus the last two years, and all of them were full or standing room only. We were able to bring Max McLean, the actor. Have you ever heard of his work? What an amazing gift he is to the body of Christ. And his movie, uh, The Most Reluctant Convert, fantastic. Well, he came right after that movie had like splashed across the, in the country. And, and he actually presented to these like, you know, really up and outers uh, gathered there. And many atheists came to me and later said, that's the first Christian message I've ever heard that penetrated my, my thinking. And so, and we did it the next year, just this June, and we're going to do it again next year. So God has given us a niche to reach like a whole array of both graduating seniors and like 50 classes of alumni. It's a God thing. So pray for that if you would. So as we're going into Acts 1, this is we're kind of gearing up to do a, a rapid kind of bang, 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 hitting the high points, and I call them snapshots. And as I was thinking of how it's, mention in Second Peter that Christ is coming and he's going to radically kind of reshape this world into something better than you've ever seen or even imagined. Uh, until that point, you need to be faithful. And I was thinking, and just, just God seemed to put on my heart being focused and faithful to what he says before he comes and to be focused and faithful. I always remember when I was having trouble hitting the tennis ball, my coach, I actually had a guy in Pennsylvania who was coaching me a little bit, and he said, you're not keeping your eye on the ball. My dad was telling me when I was hitting the, the baseball, he said, you need to keep your eye on the ball. Have you ever experienced something like that? You know, you, you, you whiff, you know, you just keep striking out. Or you can't even get the, the tennis racket in the right position to send the ball successfully back to your uh, partner you're playing with. So God, I think, wants us to keep our eye on the ball. How do we do that? Let's jump right in and see Mission Impossible. Has anybody seen the new movie? I thought, yeah, I thought it was fantastic. Did you think so? I love the, the, the car chase scene in Rome. It's probably the best chase scene ever made in Hollywood history. Plus, it has a huge glob of, of humor right in the middle of it. So I'm not paid by Hollywood to say this. But, but as Ethan Hunt, of course, you know, the uh, Impossible Mission Team, or IMF, Impossible Mission Force, he is given the challenge to confront the evil. In this case, the entity, isn't that a mis It's like a mysterious, very like, um, almost like non-human. It's, it's artificial intelligence. And it's also... Um, hard to, to kind of see, but God, as it were, I think is telling us he has for you, each one of us, a mission. Um, it seems impossible, but it's possible. It's not only possible, but it's guaranteed successful. 
And so I want us to think in terms of, and I, and I came up with another a pair of words. I think I have it here. Mission incredible. Like, it's incredible. How can this measly, kind of like weak force of Christians scattered here and there, pockets of, of believers, how can they impact and bring the, the news of Christ dying for our sins and rising again? How can they successfully do it? That's incredible. But the, the Lord tells us it is very credible. It's, that's the paradox. It seems incredible, but it's both credible that we can carry it out by his strength, and it's also credible on the base of you can believe it credible, right? Like so, someone tells me something, and I said, that's incredible. But then they show me evidence, and I say, now it's credible. You get the point? Christianity is overwhelmingly credible, believable, trustable, committable, if that's a word. And so the whole idea of mission impossible really becomes possible and mission incredible becomes credible. Why? Because uh, the truth of God's commitment to us and his directive, Ethan, the mission, if you're willing to accept it, you know, remember that? That's always the opening of, of mission impossible, okay? Then if we're willing to accept his challenge, we know that it will be carried out successfully. So the key, I should have made that font about five times bigger, sorry. So the key to reach a generation that says, follow the science. Have you ever heard people say that? Follow the science. Hey, I'm all for following the science. That, that's kind of my niche. I got my PhD in the rhetoric of science. And when I was telling stories about scientists who were actually showing evidence for intelligent design and the programming of DNA and, and, and a, a credible explanation for this thing called the Cambrian explosion in the fossils. My atheist professor was saying, we didn't know there was any evidence. It's like, you need to tell us more stories. You're writing these stories and they're based on factual stuff thing going on at these universities. We're, we're hungry, feed us, feed us. We want more stories. I didn't find, in, in my case, of course, maybe that's because I was in the communication department, not the biology department. <laughs> that probably made significant, you know, more openness. But they were like saying, we want more evidence. And, and I think there is not just a wave, there is a tsunami of evidence from archaeology, from biblical manuscript studies, from physics, astronomy. Astronomy is going crazy. There's more evidence for God for pouring in from astronomy than you can ever imagine. I never even thought it would even get close to this kind of a tsunami of evidence. So let's explore what God has to say and jump into the snapshot number one. Now we're going to have a period in which we're kind of pausing with each snapshot to unpack it. We're going to go five quickly through five snapshots. The first snapshot I call, it's when the scientists, uh, as it were, experts in evidence, in this case, you may think of criminal evidence, like, like a, an evidence room. I looked up in most major police departments, most cities, and they're analyzing and then prosecuting you know, criminal cases. They do have a literal physical evidence room. Sometimes it's like a whole big building, right? Well, God takes us in Scripture right into the evidence room. He says, look at this. Notice that. You see, you know, and, and the stacks of evidence are right there. And I'd say Luke reserves not only an A+, plus, we need to come up with a new you know, grading system because of the uh, fantastic. So if you want to turn to Acts 1, we're just going to take a quick jump down through these verses. I'm going to go ahead and read just Acts 1, 1 through 12 very quickly. 
In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs. Notice the word. I have it up there also on the slide. Many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this, this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. I love that, before their very eyes. And a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand looking, stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So that's our focus. That's our reading. And that is a bombshell and a half. But let's, you know, this, this is a passage that, you know, we've read many times. We've maybe heard uh, lessons or sermons on it. But I want to just, I want to just get down into the nitty gritty in this kind of more visual. I want you to try to imagine being there among the apostles, among these 11 plus one will be appointed later next one Matthias to take Judas' place. But so just 11 and there may have been some others with them. But here we see Jesus opening his hands for inspection. There is overwhelming, and I just wish there was another word that went be almost beyond you know, that, just to capture how thorough and real this experience of the risen Jesus was. And I, I, I'm just really thankful for this series called The Chosen. You've probably heard about that, maybe seen it. I, does it, I think it does a magnificent job of, of expanding, and they, they extend some imagination here and there. Uh, Matthew's a little bit more autistic than I prefer, but that's okay. Uh, but I think overall, they just did a, they're doing a great job, and I think we can see an expectation when they get to, eventually, Jesus risen from the dead. I just cannot wait to see what they do with that. But we see here in, in the New Testament an emphasis on eyewitnesses. And that's not a just, a, a, it just happens to be, let me just bring this up real quick. I have a couple of um, other scripture verses to share. Second Peter, of course, we, you touched on this in your series, 1.16, for we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses. This is a place where the New Testament actually goes for the jugular and says, let's talk about this. We have been accused of times of creating fables. No, we were eyewitnesses. And this phrase that I put an asterisk by, cleverly devised stories, some of the new translations say cunningly devised fables. 
And so the Christian faith welcomes any questioner just, you know, with kind of a straightforward, good discussion. Come on, come on, we're interested. Yeah, we're not hiding anything. We're, we, we're quietly confident, and our confidence is just deeply rooted. And, we're, and we cannot thank God enough. Amen? Include that in your praise. Blow, blow, blow God's mind a little bit today. Thank you, God, for the mountains. Literally, it's like a mountain range of evidence. Thank you for the tsunami that we can get out our you know, virtual surfboard and just surf the tsunami of evidence. And we can thank him for it and then, and then share it. Just, just trust God, pray, and ask God to guide as you're sharing it in YouTube clips. I, I'll tell you what, if, if you give me your address, email address, I'll just put it on the back of this page right here. Uh, at the break, I will send you a whole series of YouTube, a short, a lot of them are very short, like five to eight minutes, 10 minutes the most that you can use to share evidence, okay, if you're interested. All right, so next one. Um, my top, <clears throat> and I think Scripture would tell us the top evidence wit list is found in 1 Corinthians 15. And I'll just read it quickly. For what I received, I passed on to you as a first importance. This is, of course, Paul getting ready to talk on the, the truth of the resurrection and even our resurrection. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. There's part of the Gospel that he was buried, that's proof of his death, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, there's his resurrection, the second part of the Gospel, and then the proof is that he appeared to Cephas, of course that's Peter, then to the twelve, after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, As yeah, hint, hint, you can check with them, uh, it's, most of them are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. This is crucial evidence that Jesus' uh, half-brother, who became the leader of the Jerusalem church, who wrote the book of James, that same James had doubts until he met his, literally, who grew up in the same home. Wasn't that, how cool that would be to grow up in the home where Jesus grew up? Your older brother who's just so weird. He's always perfect. He never makes a mistake. <laughs> He never tells a lie. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Imagine. Okay, then to all apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me as one to, uh, to one untimely born. And uh, I think what I would like to say is this 1 Corinthians 15 witness list has now, through the work of Gary Habermas, Habermas, however you pronounce it, at Liberty University, he has shown, and many of the scholars working with him, this is not just written in 56 A.D., a guaranteed legitimate letter of Paul. No one questions it. Even the atheist scholars say, yeah, it's written by Paul. Yeah, it was probably written around 55, 56. If you trace this memorized formula, this witness list, this is a witness list. And if you trace it back, it goes closer to 34 or 35 AD. That's within one or two, or if you take 30 as the death crucifixion year, then we're five years away. Some people say, one scholar at Cambridge said, I think it's within three months of the event. So what we're doing is we're showing that Christianity was committed at the outset to a deeply empirically rooted evidence-based faith. And that's some, something of a hallelujah moment because we can be really not just confident, but we're getting excited. I mean, I just, my, my, my excitement explodes at this point, and I hope yours does too. So uh, we move from the evidence room to the briefing room. And this is where we find out in verse 4, actually it's verse 3, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. That's interesting. The kingdom of God. 
He spoke to them things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, how important is that to us today? I'd say it's extremely important. People say, well, I think you should receive Christ as Savior when you're born again. And then sometime later, maybe within the first year or two or three, hopefully you'll commit to him as Lord. Now, I'm not saying that you have, we have to inspect your life you know, for 30 days or six months to, to accept your testimony. You receive Christ. I think we accept that on face value. But I think that the moment a person receives Christ as Lord, he or Savior, he also receives him as Lord. And he continues to affirm and grow in that Lordship every day, every month, every year. It's an exciting, growing, unfolding reality. But we never turn our backs on God being king. And Christ is the king of the universe. Can I get an amen on that? I know, you know, this is not one of the Columbus, Georgia churches. Amen, brother. <clears throat> uh, but, I mean, it's, it's amazing when you think that Christ is my king now, but he's also my coach. He works with me. He's right there on, on the edge of the field coaching me every step of the way. And then you see um, the, the question is, how does it impact today? I would say that we need to just stress or at least include a key mention of lordship. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. You know, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And uh, this renewing of our mind and that kind of a presentation of ourselves is something that uh, just, as it were, makes that king commitment daily or even hourly as needed to, to kind of get, you know, get our you know, focus back right where it needs to be. And that's what the early church exploded uh, on, on this basis, it, it gave them the, the jet fuel that enabled them to take off. And I think that we can really let this impact of kingdom thinking. You know what, what it says at the end of the book of Acts? Paul was in his rented quarters. He was under house arrest. You know, praetorian guard probably were chained to him, through which he was able to witness like one step away from Caesar himself. Isn't that exciting? And actually, uh, what we see here, I need to, to hurry up real quick, but uh, the, the impact of that dynamic preaching uh, of, of, the, of the gospel is captured by this phrase. And it says, Paul was speaking the things concerning the kingdom of God. So the book of Acts begins with the kingdom of God. And in Acts 28, the last few verses, they're still speaking of the things about the kingdom of God. Let our lives be oriented that way. So some people said uh, at that point, one of the a couple of the disciples said, oh, you know, we're curious. Um, you know, are you going to now fulfill your promise to Israel? Is this when the, the kingdom comes to Israel? And some people say, ah, they had the wrong idea about Israel. The church is now the Israel. And I'm just going to say I dissent. I think the church is not Israel. I think God has, you know, his purposes for Israel, his promise to Israel. So they, they had the right idea. They just had the wrong focus. And he's saying, he's saying that's you don't have the need to know. You know, if you're in, in like um, the armed services, you say, well, I wonder if we have a, a plan to invade uh, X Y Z country X Y Z. We you, there might be, but you don't have the need to know. And I think that's what Jesus is saying here. And so uh, back to back on track, we're now jolted. So this is where they're jolted by his both his command and his promise. There was a command. And we'll get to that in a moment, but he begins with the provision. The promise, he says, now you're going to be launching into high gear ministry, but you're not going to be doing it in your strength. I'm going to pour out a Niagara. And I use that word because 
when he says you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, it's a picture of plunging into a liquid element. It's you're going to be dunked. You're going to be drenched with the Holy Spirit. You're going to be, I'm going to place you right under the Niagara Falls of God's Holy Spirit. And you're going to be so overwhelmingly equipped and, and forgiven and loved and brought to a point of strength and ability. And then he repeats that in Acts 1.8. And then he says, now this is your, your task. Remember, Ethan Hunt, your mission, if you're willing to accept it. You know, if, you didn't, if you don't, uh, or if you die, we'll deny your, uh, any knowledge of your mission. Now, that part doesn't go with Scripture. Okay, yeah, so, so forget about that. Oh, it's a parallel. So he says witness locally where you are. Does that apply to Pickerington and Canal? Of course. So we can pray every day, Lord, give me an opportunity. I'm working with a former guy across the street, Irish cop, and he's a great guy, but he needs Jesus. And so we talked yesterday or the day before, and I'm going to send him a little gospel track. It's going to actually it'll be a book of John. And, and, I, and I thought, I should have done this a year or several years ago, but I have a stack of little Gospels of John. We can each do as the Lord directs us regionally, which means in our area. Cross-culturally, he says to go to the Samaritans, and that's very like a weird kind of like mongrel culture, you know, kind of established originally by the Assyrians, 7th century B.C., Samaritans, uh, and then global and I'll have some suggestions about global ministry. I'm just going to mention that the C.S. Lewis Society, now uh, rebranding as Apologetic Things, has ministry in Brazil that I was able to go there, Sao Paulo, and speak at a major conference. God bless. We were able to provide, uh, through scholarship, a reduced-price DNA model to 20 students and professors and, and like charged-up lay people. And we're now giving them the ability to take that model into the public venue, to coffee shops and school classrooms, and share Christ. The digital code and DNA, and then we take ATCG, the four letters of DNA, adenine, thymine, guanine, cytosine. ATCG, Adam, temptation, the downward fall into the sin problem, and then Christ and grace, the upward move. And so we're sharing that. And it's been pretty exciting to see that we now have about 10 countries we're actually reaching into and equipping the saints in those countries. Um, and we have some upcoming conferences, and I'll supply information to the pastoral staff here. We just joined, uh, in, in addition to our superstar, uh, Mike Sherrard. It's great to see his picture out there. He's our new president. Matthew Middleburg just joined the staff, and Alicia Wood just joined our staff. We are exploding. And so I just want to thank you guys at New Life for supporting a ministry just at the time. We're just, you know, roaring off the, the pad. And thank you so much. And just keep praying for us. So they were stunned and riveted. <clears throat> and they said, basically, look, he's ascending. They literally saw him take off. It's, you know, I, I was stunned to see the uh, SpaceX, I think it was, rocket. It was probably three years ago. Do you remember that? It went up in space, the booster did, and then they wanted to re recycle it. So it came back down. Did you see that? I've watched the YouTube like 10 times. I couldn't believe it. You know, it was on the nightly news. <clears throat> and that rock through, rocket through its built-in high-tech <clears throat> boosters and jets or whatever it is, rocket engines, it came down, <clears throat> excuse me, and just settled right this way on the, the launching pad. Or, or actually it was, a, I think, maybe a ship out at sea or something. And I, I just had to watch it again because I couldn't believe my eyes. <clears throat> 
excuse me. So in, in this case, think of the opposite, like in other words, launching up of a human being, the Son of God. And he literally, and if you go to the end of Luke, the last few verses, it says he was blessing them. So um, we have a little bit, this guy looks like a runner, okay? That's the best image I could find on YouTube images. Uh, but they, the joy is that as they were stunned and riveted, they were observing Christ going up to heaven, and then they shared a picture, a snapshot of the, of the disciples rejoicing and sharing. And again, if you just go as your um, uh, homework assignment is to read the last three verses of Luke 24, okay, everybody write that down. There will be a, a quiz on that next week, okay? So if you, if you read that parallel account, it's much shorter, but it's really, it adds more information because it says they were just like doing, yes! Yeah, that's my interpretation, okay? As they were coming back from this place, the Mount of Olives, back into Jerusalem, they were exalting. They were doing like a touchdown dance, you know? Um, they were so thrilled and struck by what they were allowed to eyewitness. And so they're, uh, they're charged up. Why? Because there was a promised power, Acts 1-8, and a promised return. The, the two men, or I think were probably angels. Some say it was Moses and Elijah. Take your pick. But I think they were probably angels. You know, I, I, the same way you've seen him come back, he will go up to heaven. He will come back bodily, visibly, personally. And that's the most powerful guarantee of the second coming in the entire New Testament. There will be a visible, bodily, and personal return of Christ to earth. It's exciting. So the applications are there galore. Um, let's, I'm going to close in prayer here in about one half a minute from now. I'll be closing in prayer. But I just want to mention the unreached people groups <clears throat> are blessed that they now have a, an agency that you can actually, if you want to just take a note, or again, if you just want to give me, I can send this PowerPoint you know, file to you. But the unreached at joshuaproject.net will enable you to pray each day using an email they send out every day for an unreached people group. I have just found it a blessing to start praying every day for 365 days a year. I don't do it every day, but I try to. So um, I want to just thank you again for, you know, kind of a little intense, but uh, for what, in, in my, from my perspective, was an exciting <clears throat> revisiting of the most powerful launch passage of the Christian global movement right here in Acts 1. And our pastor, a new pastor in Columbus, Georgia, uh, converted Jews, said to me, you know, this is really the most important set of verses in the whole Bible. And that may be a stretch, but it's one of the top five in, in terms of mission uh, commitment. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for loving us. Thank you for saving us by the grace of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the opportunity to grow in grace. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to present our bodies <coughs> right now as a living sacrifice, which is a holy, acceptable, and appropriate worship to you. Lord, may we not be conformed to this ugly uh, world that uh, doubts the truth that you've displayed in front of us, but help us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. In Christ's name, and all God's people said, amen. Thank you.